Hey listeners, my name is Jeremy and I am proud to welcome you to the first episode of our very new podcast, A Night in Question. Joining me is my lovely friend and co-host. Hello everyone, I'm Kate. Hi Kate. Hi. (laughs) So everyone, we're two friends from college. Uh, We now live a short distance from each other in Seattle, Washington. Um, There's other Seattle's? (laughs) Well, I there you probably is. That? I actually want to Google that. Like, are there other Seattle's? I don't. I feel. I mean, there's other Portland's, but I I kind of feel like Seattle is one of a kind. Maybe that's that seems. The well, people I mean, here certainly are. There's a Paris, France, and there's also a Paris, Texas, and I yeah, would say Paris. Paris, France is more of a one of a kind than Seattle. I don't know. Have you like have you seen Capitol Hill on a Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Uh, sorry, um, I- <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I'm just telling everyone a little bit about us. Um, All right, you. I'll let you go. I'll let you continue. <laughs> thanks. Uh, I am a former actor. Um, I'm now a corporate goon, and um, during this crazy time that we're living in, this quarantine uh, during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, I've just been itching to get back to performing, just doing something creative. Um, and dun, 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 once we found out a startling revelation about the apartment that Kate just moved into, oh, I jumped at the chance to start a little podcast. I'm glad that me moving into a murder apartment <laughs> has been like artistic inspiration for you. I, I appreciate yep. that. I appreciate <laughs> that all of my my anxiety that I live in a place where people have apparently died uh, is inspiration. So hey, I mean, I'm t- I've gone through all of Netflix. I'm getting the enjoyment where I can right now. <sighs> Fine, <laughs> it's you know only for you, only for you, my friends. Would I would I do this thing? <laughs> <laughs> like Kate just said, she has moved into a murder apartment. I have. And I, I I would like to preface this with saying I only moved to Seattle because Jeremy and I are both East Coasters. I only moved to Seattle because you asked me to. I didn't And you moved ask- me into a murder apartment. <laughs> I didn't ask you to. So we had her over for Thanksgiving and we casually mentioned like, oh, you should move to Seattle, which, oh, she ran with. Well, you again, you invited me and I said, sure, to make you happy, to make Ted happy, because I realized your lives were not fully complete without me living a few blocks from you, which I now do. So I'm all about the love, baby. All about the love. Or you're just a stalker who had to follow me to the West Coast. Either or. I'll take either, I'll take either of them. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and I will say that when we started looking, because you were helping me look for mm-hmm. apartments, um, I really liked uh, the, the Chelsea Gardens where I've moved into because it's old. It has history. I love stuff with history. I was not quite prepared for this history, though. <laughs> I know. It's dark. And I had no, I had no idea. Yeah, which I, I suppose is fair because you haven't lived here that long. Uh, right. For as bonkers as this story is, it's not something people talk about that much. I Yeah, and I, from what I could see, it didn't get as much media attention as I think it deserves. I don't know if that's because it was the 90s and... 
There was already so many crazy things happening, but uh, now I, I was, I was genuinely surprised to see that this wasn't up there as one of the like definitive Seattle tales. Yeah, because it's a doozy, my friends. Yeah, I mean, for everyone out there, um, it's it's a classic tale of boy meets girl, unplanned pregnancy, a turbulent marriage, and one shocking night that rocked the quiet neighborhood they lived in. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Is that our theme song? (laughs) Yeah, I'll sing it. Murder, murder, murder house, murder house. I like it. I think we'll, I think we should go with it. Should we get into the backstory? Let's get into the backstory. On September 14th of 1990, Abby Stewart, who was a 21-year-old junior majoring in advertising at Western Washington University, was pulled away from her books to hit the town with her girlfriends. They went to the Up and Up, which was a local college bar, to see some bands play from Seattle. So she was drinking with her friends, having a good time, having a little bit of a a girl time, which we all need. I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> you're good. You're fine. You don't I'm, need the girl time. No, nah, I'm good. I got my mom. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I oh oh, it hurts. It hurts, Jeremy. It's like <laughs> a knife in my heart. Oh, I oh. I love you, babe. All right. Uh, so then, out of nowhere, the singer of one of the bands comes up to Abby and introduces himself as Paul Stone and asks if he could buy her a drink. Abby thanked him. But she said, I'm here on a strict girls' night. So he asked if he could have at least have her name, and she politely refused. He continued to ask, causing her girlfriends to laugh, and, you know, they encouraged her to give the poor guy her name. It's just a name. It's just a name. It's just, just a name. Your name. Wasn't a name. <sighs> Nevertheless, Abby still wasn't having it. So Paul was determined. He was a man on a mission. So he said, well, if you won't tell me your name, I'm going to have to guess it. And in a, a true showing of, uh, I don't know, balls, really, he, he got on stage. Band is still up there breaking down their equipment. And he just starts singing famous songs with women's names in the title. So he I went through. That. Yeah, I know. I'm like, that's, I, you got to appreciate the moxie. Yeah. And just the intelligence to come with it up with that, like, off the cuff. Off the cuff. He went through, <laughs> like, Jolene, mm-hmm. uh, Cecilia, Sarah, oh, Sherry, sweet Caroline, <laughs> Peggy Sue, Barbara Ann. And, like, Abby's like, nope, 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 sorry, none of these are my name. And so he, he got kind of exasperated about it, and he launched into Abba's Fernando. There was something in the air that night. The stars were bright. Fernando. And of course, that was also not correct, but it did make Abby smile. So after Fernando, Abby agreed to a drink with Paul. And one drink led to another. I mean, at that point, he's kind of earned it. Like, that was a lot of trouble to and that, go through. It's genius. I mean, who knows if he does this, like, every week with a different girl. But, like, uh, he, he would have gotten me. 
I, right? I'm like, all right, you can buy. Well, also, like, he was offering to buy her the drink. So I'm like, buy that drink. Buy me that drink. Buy me that right? free alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Paul was smitten. But he did apparently spend the rest of the night calling her Fernando. Love it. It's so sexy. Which is adorable. <laughs> I think it's cute. It's sweet. It is. It's, uh, I mean, it's one of those classic date moments, you know? When you're, you're, it's like the kind of thing where if this works out, what a story to tell your future children. So those two, they talked all night. Abby's friends left. Paul's bandmates packed up their gear and left. And these two kept talking. And drinking. Last call came. So they moved the conversation back to Abby's dorm. Where the conversation ended... The clothes came off, and Paul finally screamed the right name. (laughs) God, that's awful. It's so porny. It's so porny. Oh, so the next day parted ways, but they said they'd keep in touch. And again, this is this is the '90s, so this is pre for most of us pre cell phone. Yeah. Um, I don't know, car phones. That was a thing then, wasn't it? These two wouldn't have had car phones. No, but uh, pagers maybe? I don't know. Is that that pagers weren't even really that big yet, at least not mainstream wise. So you had to do that good old landline. Yeah. Pick up that Uh, rotary phone and give a little, little ring a ding ding. Yeah. Uh, So Paul goes back to Seattle. Abby stays in Bellingham, uh, which I'm not local i'm not a native to seattle and so i had to look this up yeah so bellingham is actually a little bit of a distance from seattle for anyone who doesn't realize that it's like a good 90 minutes or so so that's not the easiest commute to make back and forth and that's if the traffic's good right it's it looks like yeah and so uh but paul paul was determined i mean if nothing else he was like i can get me some so he got the band's (laughs) Booked back in Bellingham on the regular, which wasn't necessarily the most popular decision with the other band members. Yeah. But Paul and Abby, they never had that, so are you like my boyfriend conversation. I mean, it was one night, and they were just casually talking, I guess. It was one night, although it does look like, again, they they were hooking up, it seems, uh, somewhat regularly, probably every other week or so from, from what I could tell from the dates. Um, but they, they weren't dating in a boyfriend, girlfriend kind of way. Right. And Paul had had kind of an on again, off again thing with the bass player in his band, Maureen. So sexy. So female bass player. I mean, like that. I, I I would, I would do that. So they, I, Give me, give me enough booze, you know. <laughs> it's, it's been a long, dry quarantine. Uh, <laughs> so, Paul and Maureen hooked back up, and they decided that maybe they should officially give it another go. And this was around Christmas time. They were going to be in Bellingham. The band was going to play in Bellingham again after the holidays. And Paul decided, you know what? I'm going to do the like stand-up thing. I'm going to have this conversation with Abby in person, and tell her that you know uh, we gotta we gotta stop. Which is such a painful conversation. I've had those 
awful conversations. There's just nothing, nothing worse than being, I, I would rather be broken up with than be the person breaking up with someone. But back to our story, before Paul could even say anything to Abby, Abby had her own surprise for Paul. She was pregnant. Uh, yep. What are you going to do, Abby? So she told him not to worry that she was going to take care of it. And he didn't need to be there if he didn't want to. To Abby's surprise, and probably Paul's, I can't imagine this is something he necessarily had planned out. He urged her to keep the baby and said that that they would give it a go. And he went back to Maureen and begged her to not say anything. That's such a humiliating spot to be in for Maureen. Well, it gets, I mean, particularly because of the next thing that happens. Oh, right. So Abby actually took Paul up on his offer. She dropped out of school and actually moved in with Paul and his band in the Central District of Seattle. That's, oh, that's got to be awkward. That's a full house and good old Maureen's right there on the couch when you get in. Mm. Which Abby wouldn't know much about anyway. But no, well, and I think that like I, I kind of feel bad for all involved. Although I, I do think that Paul maybe should have come clean that at least Abby knew that that Paul and Maureen used to hook, hook up because he didn't tell her that when she moved in. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, Paul. that's oh that's gonna blow up in your face at some point, Paul. He has some great moments, and then he has some moments where I'm just like, Paul, what are you thinking? Come on. Uh, I know what he's thinking with. <laughs> I, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> the laugh heard around the world. Uh-huh. Giggity. Um, uh-huh. So uh, Abby's family was actually furious with her for dropping out of school. Um, and I guess there was actually a long gap before any of them spoke, with the one exception uh-huh. of her older sister, Jennifer, who... Um, I guess also lived in Seattle at the time. Okay. So Jennifer did what she could to help Abby um, during her pregnancy. um, And she actually got her a job at Nordstrom's Hmm. as a sales person. But like, as you can imagine, as her pregnancy progresses and the long hours on your feet, you're just, yeah, that's it's at one point it's got to be too much. Not that I'm speaking from experience, but like, like from the last time you were pregnant yeah. and having to stay in your feet all the time. That was rough. <laughs> but actually, Jennifer got her another job at a small accounting firm in Ballard as a receptionist. Um, mm. So that... She's a good sister. Yeah, that works out. Yeah. And Paul, bless him, continued to be Paul. Um, he was excited about the baby. But he had no interest in like trying to find a regular job he was just convinced his band was going to make it big so he kept rehearsing with the band at night and going to gigs on weekends found inspiration would write songs during the day and that usually translated to him smoking too much weed and playing video games i mean as a creative person i totally totally understand like you do kind of like blind yourself into like i will make it i will make because you have you have to um 
but also that creative spirit kind of also leads you sometimes to just try to be creative and smoke a little weed and occasionally slack off when things aren't going your way. You you forget that I lived with you, and so I I have a very deep appreciation for your ability to slack off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that you you so far you paint yourself as this perfect person. I mean, mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, so all of <laughs> I'm going to dig myself into a hole. <laughs> yeah. get, get out of that hole, girl. Um. <laughs> Not the last time you'll hear that. Uh, so all of this behavior wasn't sitting so well with Abby. So she she pushed him to find some kind of steady work so they could finally get their own place and get out of that frat house of a, a home. But then that magical day arrived. July 5th of 1991, Dylan Michael Stone entered the world and became the sun around which his parents' worlds would spin. That's poetic. Thank you for and that. By, it's, yes, I wrote that out <laughs> so I remember it. <laughs> so I'm very proud. <laughs> by all accounts, like Dylan was a very well-loved little boy. Uh, the band just adored him and kind of treated him like their mascot. That's so cute. And I know, right? It's, it's kind of adorable to think about these like, you know, grunge, rock and roll, 90s, greasy people with this cute little baby and and band practice. And Maureen even, like, warmed up to having a baby around. And you also then had, like, a whole household of babysitters, although I I question how reliable they all were. Like like these grungy rockers or, like, a basically, like, a modern roll doll-like book. Yeah. Well, it feels very much like a movie you would have watched or a TV show you would have watched in the 90s, like a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the the little baby and the whole rocker house. <laughs> and I'd actually, you know what? I totally so, would watch that show. I'm not going to This made lie. it easier for Paul and Abby at first. But it wasn't long before Paul's freewheeling ways reared their ugly head again. Uh, and Abby felt like she was taking on too much of the workload, which... I kind of think it's probably true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is 100% true. <laughs> uh, and this, uh, Paul apparently seemed annoyed that she was around during the day so much, even encouraging her to go back to work before her maternity leave was up, which, oh, dude, stop being so selfish. The woman just had a baby. Yeah, that's, that, was, that was poor on his part. <laughs> like, get off your ass. Yeah. Um, so I, Abby's right there with me because she was like, that is the final straw. So she packed up Dylan and moved in with her sister, Jennifer, which apparently I guess Jennifer was only too happy to take her in and spend some time with her new nephew, which is good on Jennifer. Yeah, no, Jennifer, Jennifer really steps up. And an unfortunate side effect of this is that Paul is left alone with Maureen. Maureen, 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 Maureen. Uh, We don't know for sure that anything happened between them during these times. Uh, No one in the band after the fact was really willing to talk about anything, which I, I understand. But like Abby and Paul were apart for a couple months. Dot, dot, dot. 
Paul went on something of a bender during that time, dot, dot, dot. It wouldn't be incredibly surprising. It would not be surprising, but I, I, I will say again, we do not know for sure. Correct. But Paul did hit a point where he'd had enough. You know, he, he wanted to be in his son's life. He wanted Abby back. He wanted to try to be a, a real family. So he finally stepped up. He got a job at a record store that had flexible enough hours that he could still do rehearsals and do his gigs. Uh, He saved up money, got a deposit to put down on an apartment. His friend and bandmate Brad helped him look at thrift stores, find some furniture. I guess they even found some really cool antique furniture, which Abby really liked. Like she had a thing for antiques. And so he, he was really trying to decorate their new place with things he thought she would really enjoy to make it a home. So Abby, you know, this is a stand-up moment for Paul, but she, I mean, she's been through it. And at this point, she was pretty reluctant. Um, mm-hmm. Her sister Jennifer actually ended up convincing Abby to give Paul a second chance. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe it was kind of Paul stepping up as like a man. And finding this, like, newfound sense of responsibility. <laughs> or, I mean, who knows? I mean, having a baby around 24-7 might not have been as much fun as it first seemed <laughs> for Auntie Jennifer. Yeah. That does not sound fun. That does not sound fun. No. Nope. But this is how Abby and Paul and baby Dylan ended up living in the Chelsea Garden Apartments. And not just in the apartment building. They lived in the very apartment I am now living in. Yeah, and they were prepared for a fresh start, and things didn't go as planned. But we are uh, we are actually really fortunate, because you happen to have someone... Who is is uh, up close and personal? Yeah, <laughs> with yourself and the case. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'd like to introduce him now. Everyone, please meet my handsome boyfriend, Ted. Thank you, Jeremy, and also thank you for removing the gag. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, before we go into the the next segment, I just want to put out a little clarifier here. I did a little bit of research while you two were talking, oh. and it turns out that while there are multiple Parises and there are multiple Londons and multiple Portlands in the entire world, as of right now, there is only one Seattle. Oh, oh! I feel like that should be like the tag to our show. There's only one <laughs> Seattle. We checked on Wikipedia. Because I'm a research nerd. Yes, you are, but we love you for it. You big geek. He is very cute, I will say. Yeah. You you lucked out. You got a good one. You got a good one in Ted. I did. I did. He's a fantastic cook. He owns his house, which is really nice. Yeah, especially in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. It's my family house. It used to belong to my parents when we first... We moved, we moved here when I was five, so that was... Pre-2000. Um, and uh, so my parents have moved on, but they just went ahead and left the house to me. So um, I've been here ever since. And you knew Paul and Abby. 
Yeah, tell us about them. I did. I did. I um they they were really they were really interesting. First of all, just to kind of lay some groundwork, this was back in the 90s. So this was over now what 20 years ago. And the neighborhoods in Capitol Hill, I mean, we didn't we didn't have social media like somebody was already talking about. And so we really kind of knew our neighbors a lot more than than we do now. And so um, and it was a time where like playing outside, you know, until the streetlights turn on and things like that was kind of the norm. And so um, we were we were at that time a pretty close knit neighborhood. Everybody kind of knew knew everybody um, at that time. And so when Paul and Abby moved into the Chelsea Gardens, it was kind of it was like neighborhood news. And I didn't get to know Paul directly a whole lot i had a few interactions with abby um because they only were there for a short time um we had trying to remember we had a another neighbor jan who also lived in the building and she was she's kind of the neighborhood gossip um she would (laughs) have sure jan sure jan Uh, you know she she could just publish a blog, and if if we'd have had blogs, then she would she would have totally done like a neighborhood blog. Um, I knew Dylan. Dylan, we my my parents babysat Dylan a few times, and so he actually came over. Cute kid, uh, kind of a goofball. They, um, I've got a couple stories about him. The uh, when they moved in, I do remember the actual move. I was. I think 12 or 13 when they moved in and I do remember the antiques and stuff. Uh, again, there was this really big mirror that they brought in. I, I just remember it cause it, I, it just, I don't know. It just looked interesting. And, uh, Paul offered me five bucks to help him carry it. <laughs> <laughs> We're like in the nineties. That's that's legit for like a twelve, yeah. thirteen year old kid. Like that's uh, you could you could buy a lot of soda. Yeah, you know. And from what we learned of what we learned of Paul, five bucks was all probably a lot to yeah. him. Yeah. And uh back then, back you then. know, candy bars fifty cents, that's ten candy bars. Ooh. Nice. Ooh. Well, and Dylan at this point, because by the time they moved in, Dylan was about three or so. Yeah. Okay, so he's a proper toddler. Like, he's running around. He can talk as much as any three-year-old talks, but he can talk to a point. Oh, yeah. Um, did he seem like, like, was he a happy kid? Was he an easygoing kid? He was He was a funny kid, actually. He, um, he was actually pretty verbal for a three-year-old. Pretty, mm-hmm. pretty decent language skills. He did... It, the 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 few times I think he came over like three times over the course of the their them living around, and um, one of the times we babysat, he got he liked one of his one liked bringing this race car, and so he would race it in the living room. But the engine sounds to him sounded like woman, and so when he raced it, he just screamed <laughs> woman in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if if Paul used to scream that out to Abby. Well, if he just thought he was becoming. If he thought he was becoming yeah, animal. I from don't the know. Moment. It just. Well, I think uh, it was maybe a phonetic thing because you know three year olds are weird and they play they make weird patterns out of things and so. 
Um, and then he had this other weird game where he he would he had he would take this my mom's handheld mirror out of the bathroom, and he would just kind of sit and talk to it. Oh, I I get that. I used to I used to play Wicked Queen from Snow White. That's probably <laughs> you what would doing, play right? Wicked Queen. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. No one's fairer than this. I was about to say profanity. Than this lovely chap. You still do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no one is better looking than me. There are. I'm. I'm kidding. But like, this is this is all audio, so. For listeners out there, sure, no one's better looking than me. Let's go with that. No one's better looking than Jeremy's ego. <laughs> oh, that thing is ugly. <laughs> She's ugly. She is an ugly, ugly girl. <laughs> mm. uh, so, so getting us a little bit back on track. Um, did <laughs> one of us? So the, mir- the, mirror, the mirror. We were talking about his mirror game. What was what was that about? Well, he would he would just sit there. And look into the mirror, and then he would, like, talk to it, and then he'd wait for an answer, but then he wouldn't answer. Like, I, I thought he was maybe playing, like, some kind of, like, puppet game or something, or maybe, I, I don't know, I mean, Jeremy, you're an actor. Maybe he was just kind of trying out, like, how, like, he, like, how certain feelings maybe looked on himself. I mean, I, I it's been so long since I've been a three-year-old. Um, I mean, maybe he was working on his mice. Yeah, that was probably it. I mean, Uh, I I get it, kid. You gotta you gotta start training early. Yeah, although he got really ticked off when I tried to like distract him from it because he he said that the mirror wasn't working right, and so I tried to distract him from it and find something else to do. Then he just got really ticked off and just threw the mirror. And so it's like, okay, Hmm, kids are weird. weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, little kids are weird. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I did so many weird things as I was a, when I was a kid. You still do. Yeah. I was gonna say when you were a kid, just when hey. you were a kid, that's hmm. blowing blowing my nose in the shower is oh. not so weird. A lot of people do it, Ted. Okay. Hello. What just happened? Where did you go? You left me. What? Who left? Did my I both of you? It just went. It just went really weird. It 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 like blipped out, and it I couldn't hear you. It was <laughs> sorry about that though. Uh, what what did uh what what did I miss? What were you saying? Oh oh oh! Ted brought up um my sleep talking. Oh yeah, your sleep talking is epic. <laughs> my sleep talking. I I. It's funny that I also <laughs> I get so. My sleep talking persona, I get so frustrated when you don't understand me, even though I'm spouting nonsense. I'm one time I, I said to Ted, I was talking in my sleep and he goes, he said, what? And, you know, I'm completely in another world. And I'm like, just put the strawberries in the basket. And he was like, what? what? And I literally went, oh, never mind. You wouldn't understand. And went back to sleep. Wow. Yeah. Okay, sleeping yeah, like, Jeremy is kind of bitchy. <laughs> he is. Oh bitchy. yeah. No, there was there was one time we were on vacation and I was we were down in Portland and I was dead asleep. And then it must have been like one o'clock in the morning. I heard him go, Ugh, I am definitely not touching that. <laughs> and that's all he said. Um touching <laughs> what? <laughs> 
I don't yeah. know. The thing is, we I were never... on opposite sides of the bed. I was like, I, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I rarely remember what those dreams were. Like, I'm just so out. Like, when I sleep talk. Wow. That I, I, I could have, it could have been a skunk. It could have been a stapler. It could have been a, a, a woman. Like, it, no idea. Are these nicknames? <laughs> this is Good old skunk down at the manhole in New York City. Oh, God. The jokes. I can't say the jokes. So, um, Ted, <clears throat> with your experience with, with them, with Abby and, and Paul, um, did you get to observe like their interactions a lot, what their relationship was like? Not a whole lot. I only saw them kind of individually. I didn't, other than, other than the day they first moved in, I didn't see them interact with each other a whole lot. Um, she, she was pretty busy during the day. And then when she, cause she was taking classes and stuff. And then when she was home, then it was usually at a time that he was working And then at night he was either at practice or playing a show or, you know, doing something else. And so there, there, they didn't, they weren't spending a whole lot of time together, at least not to my knowledge. So I don't have a whole lot of information. I mean, I have, I have things I've heard, but as far as what I've seen, I, I, there's, I can't, I mean, Dylan seemed happy. So other than kind of that, some other than just the weirdness of the three-year-old, there wasn't anything that at least to me seemed to be affecting Dylan. Well, that's good. It doesn't sound like a recipe for a super happy relationship though. You know, two ships passing in the night and trying to parent a new, very young child. Well, and, and like support themselves too. That you know, yeah. I, I can't imagine, I guess I, I struggle a little with, with Paul's job at the record store because Especially if, like, was he working there full time? Because he's still doing the band. So how could he have been? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was full time. I think he. I think he was only working there part time. I did get some reports from Jan that there would be like that she would hear them fighting. Mm. Um. So and money is really tight, and so just I mean, you take any one of those factors. Not spending a lot of time together. Type money, um, you're you're a, a sleep schedule with a kid in in terms of you don't sleep because you have a kid, right. and then I mean any one of those things can cause strain on an otherwise healthy relationship. But hearing kind of a lot of the things that were coming out earlier that you two were talking about, it wasn't exactly on really strong footing to begin with, and then you introduce all of these other factors into it. I'm sure it just created a very 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 difficult situation. Right. Do we know how intense this fighting was? And I mean, we probably don't know what they were fighting about, right? Unless Jan had a glass to the wall. Did did Jan have a glass to the wall? Not that she'd admit. <laughs> I know Paul sometimes would come home kind of stumbling, and because Jan would hear him coming into like coming through the building. Well, and we know from mm-hmm. some of his previous problems, like he he struggled with. Alcohol, it seems mainly, but but also we know he smoked weed. Um, did he? Do we know if there was any other drugs that he was maybe ingesting? Well, I'm going to just kind of go out on a limb here and give you some alleged information in terms of like I I don't have any firsthand evidence, but this is but I but I've talked 
to people, and I've had a couple of friends who have said that they have witnessed that Paul was into dealing drugs. Oh, wow. One of my friends actually tried to score some weed off of him. Of course, you know, this is in the 90s, even though it is Seattle, it's, weed is not legal. Right. Um, he would not sell to high school or junior high kids, but... That's commendable. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's even drug dealers can have standards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the more you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I, and I know Paul was having, cause my parents watched Dylan a few times. I know Jan watched Dylan a few times. And I think, cause again, we were pretty close, na- close in that neighborhood. I believe Paul was dropping Dylan off quite a bit as time went by. Um, hmm. so there was that as well. Again, I don't know if he was working or if he maybe had like an event to promote the band during the day, which doesn't sound really plausible. Yeah. Especially because um, yeah. it wasn't like their band. I mean, like locally they were playing. It looks like a lot of the kind of local spots like central saloon used to have them pretty regularly and comet tavern, but they weren't <sighs> successful in that respect. Like they, they weren't, well, they weren't, they weren't on track to, you know, being a breakout success from what I could see. Yeah. Nothing I saw at least. I look like they played a lot to um, like the basement parties in the U district and at some of the frats and stuff, but nothing that uh, they played primarily. It seems like college things, which is, is fine, but they're also like getting older. They're in their mid twenties now. I mean, I don't know. You're going to hit a point where you should say to yourself, if this isn't taking off, what's my next step? Well, and again, it's not, it's not just you you're dealing with. I mean, if, if somebody is determined to be a lifelong artist and it's just sort of their own well being that's at stake, then that's completely valid. Then, you know, at 50, go, you know, sell your house, go to LA, try to make it into the movies. Like if it's just you on the line, then that's, then that's great. That's fine. Do it. But when you have a child, a young child whose well-being is very much dependent on yours, and then you're also trying to maintain a marriage with somebody who is still trying to find their way through education and and getting a career established, like those are all things that are going to create a tension between your ability to take risks with your own well-being in order to pursue a life as an artist. Yeah. Do you hear how wise my boyfriend is right now? Like, did you did, did you suddenly get like a master's in psychology? No, I've had like two glasses of Cabernet. <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out. That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> bring me some of that. Um, bring me some of that. I miss people. Oh, you poor thing. I wish I could come visit. We'll drop a box of Franzi on your front door. <laughs> and then stand at my window from the outside and wave Mm. forlornly at me while I drown my sorrows. Yes. With a handkerchief. (laughs) With a handkerchief waving in the wind. Uh, So, um, Paul and Abby. (laughs) Paul and Abby. Paul and Abby. Uh, 
So all of this was leading to a lot of turbulence in, in their relationship and uh, ends up leading up to a night, which, which starts with a fight and ends with a murder, but there's no body. Dun, dun, dun. And we'll get into that more in our next episode. I I cannot wait to dive into this and find out what happened. And Ted, you'll you'll join us again for the next episode. Oh yeah, yeah, this was great. I mean, you could just life coach us through the the next episode if you want. Like, I didn't know you had that wisdom in you. Well, I've got information of the day of. Oh, okay. All oh. Right. All right, so stay tuned. And thank you for joining us on A Night in Question. Thanks for listening. Visit us on Facebook at A Night in Question and sign up for our newsletter for previews of upcoming episodes and exclusive updates.